This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as Maggie Haberman's evil twin, and that's real evil. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, we're going to play an interview I conducted with A.G. Selzberger, the publisher of The New York Times. We spoke as part of a fundraising gala for Columbia University's Knight Bajot Fellowship Program. A.G. has been publisher of The Times since January, but before that, he was a writer and associate editor at the paper. And I should disclose that, for those of you who don't know by now, I'm also a contributing opinion writer for The New York Times. Now let's take a listen to my conversation with A.G. recorded in front of a live audience at the New York Marriott Marquis. Please welcome A.G. Salzberger and Kara Swisher. Well, we have a lot to talk about, Arthur. Uh-oh. AG, what am I supposed to call you? What, uh, I think AG is perfect, but All right, okay. what does it say about how this is about to go that everyone who stopped me today said, Good luck up there. Good luck. Okay, good. Okay, fantastic. I heard Kara. First of all, uh, Jeff, congratulations for that award. I, when I saw it, I thought it was the award for drinking more beer than Kavanaugh. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, come on, stop. I was worried too, I honestly, and your mother's here. He brought out his mother before, to like, I'm gonna be nice, because his mother's gonna rush the stage. Um, but this picture worried me right here. Here's me, looking like a real gay Johnny Cash. <laughs> and here's him looking like he tells dad jokes 24-7. So, and he's just a dad, congratulations. Everyone what? needs a straight man. Yes, it's true. Yeah. And you're really straight. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so. It's true, it's true. You look like 103. So, all right, so, by the way, I have a contract with them, full disclosure, I don't care. Um, I tried to go edgy with the charcoal suit. It's nice, you look good. Yeah. Okay, fine, whatever. So, let's start talking about stuff. So, you have been in the job, how long? Since January. January. So, what grade would you give yourself? Let's do a Donald Trump question. Oh, I don't know. You're supposed to say A. A plus? Is that how it works? That's I, what Donald I think did. journalists are supposed to take their time and make right. sure so what, what, check their how facts. How do you think you're doing so far? Um, we actually have two times tables right here. Right. When just shout out an answer that's nice but not too nice. Right. They're going to say A to you. Come on. Okay. What do you, how do All you right. think you're doing? How, how, tell I us think, about the beginning of doing this. Well, I think the report is looking great. I okay. think the report is looking as strong as it's ever looked um, under Dean Baquet and uh, Joe Kahn and this team here. A lot of people want to talk about, you know, just the political climate right now, but yeah. at the times we're determined to cover 
you know, the stories of this era, which is climate change, it's um, technology and how it's disrupting every facet of how life is lived. And it's the rest of the world. And, you know, I'm really proud of the reporting that we're doing, you know, even as we're, you know, publishing a 14,000 mm -hmm. word investigation of the president's finances, we're also on the front lines in Yemen trying to demand that the world that we, you know, that our readers pay attention to the rest of the world, too. So, I mean, if, if we're just looking from the report standpoint, I'm extremely happy after this year. Right. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is it's Trump, Trump, and also Trump, right? Correct. And that's been sort of the center of what you've all been covering because you've been set up as the op opposite of. And, like, even today's news this week with the, with the pipe bombs uh, and everything being sent in the danger, you all are at the center of something much bigger than just, hey, we're going to do just nice reporting. Or do you not see it that way? Well, I don't think we ever see our job as, hey, we're just going to do nice reporting. Right. right. Um, things you know, have changed. You don't feel like things have changed in the past 12 months. In, in the past 12 months specific, look, I think we live in consequential times, and I think it's impossible to miss that. You know, I mean, we've seen the list of, you know, of, of just, just what's come up on this stage, you know, trade wars, um, the rise of populism, not just domestically, but all around the world, mm -hmm. um, sim seemingly simultaneously, uh, you know, from Poland and Hungary to Brazil and through our own country, you know, and we're seeing the, you know, the increasing signs of climate change. Um, you know, we saw the UN report a couple of weeks ago. So I, I don't think it's the story is just Trump. In fact, I think in some ways, you know, Trump emerges out of a convergence of other stories around globalization and migration and, you know, and this global populism and income inequality. Mm -hmm. And I think our responsibility at the New York Times is to be covering the world broadly because I, I, I think we start to make a mistake as a society when we start to just disentangle these threads and, and say that these things aren't connected. Now, as, as far as Trump, we've invested deeply in our Washington bureau. I think you've seen you know, that we are committed to covering the administration um, and all the institutions of power in Washington uh, as aggressively as, ever, as anyone. But he's also made the New York Times, made CNN, made other publications a character in this insane reality that's show true. that's going on. How, what is that like in, in terms of pressure on you? And you, you got sucked into it by speaking to him, apparently. Yeah. Um, you went over <laughs> to this meeting. Explain this meeting for those, you went. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't um, have gone out without a body cam going there, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I had something better than a body cam. I had uh, James Bennett, our uh, editorial, uh, okay. our opinion editor, All right. and former White House correspondent. So the, the president reached out through uh, the press secretary and asked for a meeting. I didn't know what it was about. I assumed he wanted to grumble. Um, you may have noticed we've been doing some aggressive coverage of right. the administration. And I believe very strongly that it is the right of anyone who's in the news regularly to raise concerns uh, about that coverage. Um, Dean has a, uh, Dean Baquet, our editor, has a, a, an ironclad rule, which I, I've always appreciated, that he won't meet the president off the record. Okay. He feels like presidents of the United States, you know, when they're meeting, meeting with the editor. So, but I do believe um, that you should be able to raise concerns, so I decided to go. Um, studied up in all the various stories and investigative reporting. We were th investigative threads we were pursuing that, that he might grumble about. My read of it was I think he uh, wanted to introduce himself and, you know, saw it uh, largely as, um, as, you know, something of a, a social visit. Um, now, I don't know 
if he had some agenda behind that, you know, I'm young, I'm new to the job. Mm -hmm. Maybe he thought he could charm my socks off and Mm -hmm. I'd call off the hounds. But for me, I felt it was an opportunity to raise my concerns, you know, sitting across the table, looking him in the eye about uh, his rhetoric, Mm -hmm. you know, which I told him directly and has subsequently been been made public. Yeah, that worked. Go ahead. Go ahead. well, it's, no, I mean, it's not. funny you say he that. Did not. Did he I know. I, no, I know. It's not and, yours in particular. But, well, yeah. so, so I raised concerns saying that his rhetoric was not just divisive, right. which, you know, I think people had focused on, but it was getting really dangerous and not just domestically, which again, we too often focus, focus on, but was really making the conditions for reporters abroad, particularly yes. in countries with limited press freedoms, much harder because, yeah. you know, the, the world's foremost staunchest defender of the free press and the free speech as it has always been this country. And, um, and people could smell that we were no longer uh, fighting that fight. So I raised those concerns. I was not naive enough to think that he would, you know, right. look me in the eye and say, oh, thanks, you, you, know, I've, you, know, um, uh, you know, I've had my eyes opened by this. But he made a show of listening uh, politely and engaging with the conversation, um, asking questions. And then the next week proceeded to ratchet up his rhetoric, you know, back to level 15 where it had been, um, you know, with the enemy of the people. But then did, you know, I think um, everyone who cares about journalists and journalism a favor by, you know, um, allowing me to put on the record that he was warned about this. He was warned that these words would... um, you know, potentially, um, maybe even perhaps inevitably have consequences. And I think, you know, you can, you can argue about whether or not, you know, it was naive of me to, to go there, or whether you think that, you know, people in my role should be meeting with the president. We can have that argument. You've heard my view. But I do think it's really important that someone took that opportunity to raise this um, concern directly, because I don't want him so to be So where are we now on that? Because the day after... Everybody gets a bite bomb. He says something right. He reads yeah. it off the prompter, yeah. whatever they handed and made him say. And the next day, it was the same thing. Where do you, where we are in terms of danger? Because you see what happened in Saudi Arabia. Those signals are everywhere. Yeah, I mean, Saudi Arabia. What what happened to you know our, our colleagues at Reuters and Myanmar? You know, um, you know, a, a reporter was was raped and murdered in Bulgaria. Um, you know, Annapolis. You know, is um, you know, in all of our minds. Um, this is. This is a scary time, and, and this is before I even talk about, you know, just the, the amount of hate and vitriol that, that um, people experience, and I imagine you've experienced just in the, in the digital space. So I, um, I dish it out, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no. So where is it? You know, this is a really troubling time for all of us who believe in the role of a free press in, you know, um, in supporting a, a free society. Are and you scared for the New York Times? Are you scared? when I mean, are you just are assuming it's... I, look, my job is to worry on behalf of, of my colleagues, and I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't trying to anticipate, you know, what risks I need to be thinking about. But the New York Times tries never to operate from a place of fear. You know, we've been operating around the world, on the ground, in dangerous environments, you know, uh, for a long time, including, you know, full-time bureaus in Iraq and Afghanistan since the beginning of, of the wars there. Um, and we know how to report when um, government minders are tracking us. We know how to report when our communications are being bugged. We know how to report when we're under threat. And I don't think we're there, 
But that's why I also don't feel particularly spooked at this point. I, what I'm more spooked about is the, the erosion of trust and the polarization of trust in media. Um, I think that that um, is an extremely worrying thing. So that's trend. something you've talked about, not <clears throat> wanting to be the resistance, not wanting to be the opposition. Yeah. The Times has gotten more opinionated, not just in opinions, but throughout. You have reporters on Twitter. You've got all kinds of things going on. There's much more uh, it, throughout, especially uh, digital media, much more attitude, voice. Yeah. voice, voice in it. You have talked about that not being the case. And something I worry about is that if you don't have some sort of a, a informed opinion that's from reporting, you end up typing words on a page. Or, yeah. or, not typing anymore, but you know what I mean? It, all it is is just taking things down and being complicit in things that are something you shouldn't be in. Yeah. Let me take that in a few different ways. I mean, one, I think, and you know, this is something that you've been a leader on as, as well. I, look, I think the old newspaper conventions <clears throat> don't work anymore. I think the indirection, you know, we did a lot of things as, as journalists, myself very much included, because I had a very traditional path through um, Metro dailies. But we did a lot of things that, that actually disguised why a reader should come to us and believe us. And we thought it was because we're not part of the story. We, want it, we, we right. never want to make the story about us. But, but in direction, like, you know, that old convention of saying, like, Kara Swisher told a reporter today. Mm-hmm. Right? You didn't yeah. tell a reporter, you told me. Right. You know, I'm right here. Right. And, um, and that form is either confusing or feels misleading in the digital environment. And so I, I do think that we have systematically tried to strip some of, you know, those old, that's sort of like the newspaper ease out of our, out of our work, which has allowed more voice to come in. And I think in a really good way, I'm, you know, one of my colleagues, Neil Irwin, um, who's a Knight Badgett fellow, you know, is someone who, you know, I really admire how he can write with, authority and expertise that bleeds but, through everything, but, it, but doesn't, but doesn't, doesn't like spin over to opinion. Um, spin over to opinion. It's a really yeah. interesting, because when I was at the Wall Street Journal, there was a set, uh, when I worked there, there was a, a, three words I hated, to be sure, comma, uh -huh, yeah. according to some sources, uh -huh. you know, blank. And I remember writing about Webvan, and they said, Kara, we need you to say, to be sure, some people feel Webvan yeah. is going to work. Yeah. And I said, to be sure, those people are yeah. idiots. Um, because based on my reporting. And so, you know, it, it was so pleasing to get out of that. So I totally agree with you there. I, but I really do agree. Like, I think false equivalency is like the, the easiest, laziest form mm -hmm. of protecting, you know, the, the, the appearance of independence. Right. When in fact, you're actually, it's, it's, that's not what independence looks like. Mm -hmm. What independence looks like is following the truth wherever it leads and right. being comfortable with it leading someplace that you, A, you didn't anticipate, and B, you may not even want. Sure, um, but coming to a conclusion, do you think that's what's gonna happen? Because it happens digitally, I'm, and the online publications are much more, I mean, at Recode, we definitely say, yeah. guess what? Mark Zuckerberg ruined democracy, and here's why. Let me <laughs> yeah. explain to you. Like, he moved yeah. fast, he broke things, and democracy was one of them. Yeah, well, so, we, do, we do have an opinion section, and thank you for joining us. That's true. Um, <laughs> I know you agree with me on that, I'll get to that in a minute, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> but look, I, I, I also think it's really important, important the role. So, so let me just like use one example that I think shows, shows both sides of this. <clears throat> you know, we just did a 14,000 word, 18 month investigation, three reporters, yes. full time, two badass editors, you know, a team project that um, painted the most comprehensive portrait of President Trump's finances that have been painted to date. And, you know, it wasn't full of 
on one hand. On the other hand, we use the word fraud in, in one of the top couple of graphs there. And count the number of times a news organization with a good lawyer, and shout out to David McCraw, who's here as well. Um, oh yeah, David, I forgot you've become a star these days. All right. Um, but point to me the number of news organizations with a good lawyer who's going to let you use the word fraud. Right if law enforcement has not yet already used it. And um, so I think that's an example of, right. you know, it is okay to draw a conclusion. But I also think it's really important to remember that there's a difference. The, the, the internet is, full, is overflowing with opinionated people and it's overflowing with opinions, many of them great, many of them terrible, you know, pick your side on, on which are which. But and people have been opinionating that, mm -hmm. you know, President Trump's finances, you know, were, you know, um, there's something shady there for a long time. But what actually caused multiple investigations to be opened? Mm -hmm. It's digging, it's, it's reporting. Right. And, and that's the part of the journalistic ecosystem that has been weakened the most over the last couple of decades. And that's what I mean what, when I say- What about the impact of those stories? Because this is, that was an astonishing display of journalism. Astonishing, yeah. it was amazing. But whoosh, it went by, right? Like th that thing would have gone on for months before. I wish it went by and something else, something with Stormy Daniels and then Michael Avenatti was around and then I don't know what happened yeah. something else. Like, it just goes one after the other. Well, and it was Kavanaugh, uh, Kavanaugh. Oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Forgot about yeah, him. Yeah, we forgot that. that. two weeks yeah. ago, right? Um, look, I mean, the, the attention span thing is real and I don't think we've fully grappled with how to deal with that. If you have suggestions, I'm, I'm all ears. I also do think that, um, you know, that piece was read, you know, one of the longest pieces we ever produced was read by millions of people mm -hmm. and caused city, state, and federal officials all to say that they were looking into opening an investigation. So I, I also don't totally buy that it didn't and have it's an impact. Yet done. Yeah. it's not yet done. We're going to take a quick break now for a word from our sponsors. We'll be back after this with A.G. Salzberger, the publisher of the very much not failing New York Times. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate, no coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So let's talk a little bit about uh, where you're going in terms of your business. Uh, let's talk first about social media. I made a yeah. reference that Mark yeah. Zuckerberg ruined democracy. How do you look at social media now? Because they have sort of hollowed out media. They've hollowed out local media. They've put havoc all over the place. They allow, you know, fake news, uh, to the real fake news to go around, <clears throat> fake bots, fake opinions, lack of transparency. How are you looking as a business, as one of the most prominent publishing businesses? Yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's two sides to this. I mean, one is we have to be clear-eyed 
that these are the most powerful information monopolies in the history of the world, mm -hmm. right? So specifically Facebook and Google, mm -hmm. probably in that order. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Twitter is just bothersome over here. And <laughs> it's a well, little cesspool Well, Twitter's over just here. ruining all our days. Yes, yeah. I um, noticed you've done, he has done two tweets. Oh God, it's so embarrassing. Did you two, read them? Nine, yeah, it was two, 2010. Like, yeah, I was um, ordered to go on the Twitter by, my by the national like, editor. The fact that you just said I was ordered to go yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, I know. <laughs> It's not the Twitter. Did I say the Twitter? Yeah, you did. I know it's not the Twitter. That was, that was just like a, a stutter. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> On the Twitter, yeah. two, twi two the Twitters, uh -huh. the tweets yeah. from 2010 is pathetic. It's just pressing. Oh, and they were I, both- I tweeted twice from the bathroom. I mean- I know. Well, they were, they were done con on consecutive days. They were at the super beginning. dull. They were my first two yes, days. Yes, and they're and, super dull and, tweets. Um, and then I think, I think every media critic in America immediately started following me, and I was like, holy shit, this is a high wire act. I'm gonna get out of here. Um, uh, which I know is a sign of weakness in your world. Yeah, you do. Um, so wait, I, what were you- I'm not even gonna ask about Instagram or Tinder. So, um, so <laughs> But talk about their impact, but I, uh -huh. I, I, you need to use social media more, um, just in general, that's my advice to you. But how do you look at them? Because how do you deal with them? Are they as important to your business any, going forward? Yeah, no, so these are the two most you know, powerful information monopolies in the history of the world. And they are where a huge percentage of, of the global population go to get their news. And, and we need to own that. That is, um, we, we cannot pretend, if we want to introduce our work to a new generation, we, we cannot pretend that we can just ignore these spaces. So we know we have to be engaging with you know, Facebook, with Google, with Twitter, with Snapchat, some of these other places. But we also know, um, because there's a pretty clear track record right now, that these are not journalistic institutions and they yeah. do not share our values. And right. quite frankly, you know, and uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of people in this room who have sort of bet that like, we crack the code. They do not care if you succeed or fail. And, um, and, and they both do not succeed if you if, uh, care if you um, succeed or fail affirmatively. Right. Um, but also, they're comfortable just accidentally stomping you to death, um, right. you know, with an algorithm change. And so I think, you know, getting to that sort of sweet spot of what is clear-eyed engagement where we understand that this, these are platforms that are not journalistic platforms, they don't particularly care about journalism, but they are a place where journalism is found and consumed and you can introduce yourself you, to quality journalism. Do you think they're media companies? Everyone means something sort of different by that. What do you mean by that? Do you think they're media companies? Should they have, they have immunity that you do not have. You yeah. cannot get it wrong. They have an actual law that they get immunity for what, all that crap that's on their platform. Which yeah. means, which is precisely why all yeah. that crap is on their platform. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I, I look back at, like, and, you know, anyone who is, is working on a newspaper, you know, has to recognize that it wasn't, you know, it's, it's only a matter of decades mm -hmm. since, you know, we had this ad monopoly, right? And, you know, the reason we were able to pour money into quality journalism is because we had an ad monopoly, we had a distribution monopoly in, in, right. in the communities we covered. What's striking right now is, is, is there are two new companies with that ad monopoly and they have it you know, more profoundly than ever before. But 
where we would, you know, personally vet every single ad and make sure it met met our standards. And we had, you know, I mean, you know, 60-page standards books with all these different obscure rules about, you know, like diet pills can't right. be advertised. Right. And we felt that that was part of our obligation, part of the, the social responsibility right. that comes with um, well, that role in the community. It's because you're adults that took a humanities course in college, and these are people that did not. So, I mean, but... You said that, not me, yeah. Yeah, say it again. <laughs> they shouldn't be running these companies. Um, so, what do you do about, what do you do with them? How do you, how do they... How do we how work do you, with them? Yeah. I mean, look, we, we've actually got pretty good partnerships, um, you know, particularly Google. We, we've, we've got a decent partnership where, you know, they come to us, we come to them, you know, figure out how, how to work together on, on specific issues. Um, and and those, the, the relationships are good. I mean, you, you know this, like, you know, it, it, it's, it's not that these folks set out to destroy journalism, right? Um, you know, and if you're, if you're coming just, you know, in, in, in a clear-eyed way of, of what you want to accomplish and, um, and clear-eyed that, that your journalism needs to have its own center of gravity and you can't bet the farm on these platforms, then I think you can, you can work with them. So, so but what else are we doing? We're also reporting the hell out, of, out right. of these stories. Yes, nice Google piece today. Well done. Yeah. I have oh, to say, you all should read thanks. it. They're very naughty. To... Essentially, let me translate it for you, they're very naughty at Google. And it's bad. <laughs> it's, it's real bad for Google. It's a fantastic story. So then how do you get big then? I want to finish up talking about this idea. of How do you yeah. get big then? If you are sort of... You're pretty small. You're a pretty small organization, you know, the New York Times. How do you, do you yeah. think you think big enough? Because sometimes I feel like the media organizations, and I think I said it to one of your editors when I was talking about, is think small and then think smaller. Um, how do you get bigger? How do you imagine with these things, these giant semis running down the highway, yeah. running all the, run, owning the av digital advertising pretty much, not gonna be broken up at this point at least. How does the, New York, does the New York Times think big enough about its brand, and how do you get there? I mean, I, I'll, I'll take any advice you have to offer. I mean, <laughs> I, I, look, I think, I think a few things. One, we stopped holding the future at arm's length. And under Dean and his team, it feels like we've finally understood that, you know, we are going to need to succeed as a digital news company, and um, that's going to look different. Um, it's not going to change who we are. You know, we are still an organization that's fundamentally built around original, on-the-ground, reported, expert, obsessively which verified, independent the, journalism. That's the core. That doesn't right. change. Right. But what form that journalism takes, you know, um, right now, more people are listening to The Daily every day, mm -hmm. you know, which is our, our news podcast, than ever opened up the front page in The New York Times. So... You know, I, I, I think what, what one answer to that is we're, we're trying to in, in embrace change as an organization. Well, what does that mean to you? I mean, people say I'm embracing change yeah. and I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. So what does that mean from your perspective? I mean, it, it, it means a lot of things. It, it means understanding that, um, that, among other things, that print is our mature business and it matters and it's providing um, a ton of revenue that we need to support our big ambitious journalism, but it's also something that's in a shrink every year, and um, we are going to need to replace it with a thriving digital business. And, um, and so, you know, it's, you know, embracing change means figuring out what the digital incarnation of 
cooking, mm -hmm. you know, our food section is. And it turns out it's an app of recipes. You know, it, it, it means figuring out like what the daily front page experience, you know, looks like in a digital environment. It turns out it's something like the daily, you know. Um, it means experimenting, you know, making the report much more visual. Um, it means integrating, you know, serious technical chops into our newsroom in a really profound way that allows us to do an investigation into Twitter, you know, that can systematically expose, you know, the widespread uh, bot fraud mm -hmm. um, that had been hiding under the surface. Yeah, um, they're all of the... Recently, Maggie Haberman was tweeting, was responding to a bot, and I had to text her and say, stop talking to the bots. You're talking yeah. to the bot. Like, yeah. she didn't even realize it. You're right. That's a good investigation to do. Yeah. Um, but, but go ahead. I actually lost my train of thought. All right. What do you... <laughs> Uh, AG, what is going to save the New York Times in the future? That's a pretty important question. That was the question. What is? What else? So what's what's going to? I mean, yeah. well, you were asking about growth, and right. you know, where I do think you get that. How do you? I think get we have it? we have a. So where, where do you get that? I think that I think that the internet had this like this sort of myth of infiniteness, mm -hmm. right? That that had, that tricked a lot of us, mm -hmm. and that that caused a lot of us to obsess over over more. So there's like more content. And the word content actually to me well it suggests this very specific thing, right? It's like it's content is something that fills a content bucket, right? And you know, journalism, right? Or or if you're in a different industry like television or whatever, you know, is like this is is an is a requires an affirmative vision, right? right? We believe that people are, you know, in an on-demand environment, which the internet is, right? And now radio is, and now television is. In an on-demand environment, people will gravitate towards the best stuff. Right. And so our business strategy today is like boiled down to make stuff that's worth paying for. And it's that simple. Make yep. stuff that's worth paying for. And, you know, the growth question's interesting. You know, it's, we're like six or seven years out from everyone making fun of us for believing that people will pay for journalism. Mm -hmm. um, and now I suspect most of the news organizations in this room either have a paywall yep. or are looking at one. And I don't think we, we fully know what the growth potential is because I think that the market hasn't, hasn't fully developed. Right. We're going to take another break now, and we'll be back with A.G. Salzberger, the publisher of The New York Times, after this. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. There's a, a paper in Washington that a billionaire bought yeah. um, for not much money, actually. It was kind of a I bargain for that. him. Yeah. Um, Jeff Bezos is $164 billion, yeah. right? Which is a lot of money. Would you ever see the need to have that kind of investment from one of these 
massive billionaires. Like, what would happen if, say, uh, the one I think should buy you is Lorraine Jobs, but that's my, I bugged her about it. The New York Times is not for sale. I get that, but what would you, I get that. Okay, but here's, well, wait, let me just say, what would you do, it's not for sale, because you're thinking in a different term, what would you do with a billion dollars? What would the New York Times do if they had a billion dollars to deploy? I, you know, I, and, I get this question. I get this question occasionally, and, right, but right. but but I, hear me out. It's it's an interesting question in the abstract, but when you actually look at the at the reality on the ground, Jeff Bezos has been very clear that he wants the Washington Post to make a profit. So yes, the richest man, right. uh, not just on Earth, but I believe in the history of Earth, bought this newspaper. Well, he's um, leaving Earth, but go ahead. <laughs> Him and Elon are going off to Mars. Bought to this news <laughs> with their with their. They work out a lot. Anyway. <laughs> they do. Go ahead. Sorry. So, um, so he, he bought this newspaper, and yes, he started investing in it again. Right. And, I'm, and, and all of us at the New York Times are, are delighted to see that because, quite frankly, we need more journalists in this country. Right. And uh, it is not a zero-sum game. And um, uh, we need a healthy Washington Post in this country. And so we are delighted to see it growing again. But it, the Washington Post is still a significantly smaller uh, paper than the, than the New York Times. And you know, another paper owned by a billionaire, the Wall Street Journal, another very fine paper owned by a billionaire. Mm-hmm. Um, Not such a fine billionaire, but go ahead. <laughs> again, um, come on. Okay, uh, Wall Street Journal people, I work there, go ahead. Um, is, is also smaller. So, I mean, I do not think that, that for a you need second, that, that you need I do not think for a second that the ownership structure of the New York Times is somehow hindering our ability to invest in great journalism. The last year, we've expanded our Washington Bureau, we've expanded our tech coverage, we've expanded our business coverage. But, but, you know, startups get mass events. The other day, a dog walking firm got a billion dollars. It was insane. Why would you not want that investment to do great local journals? I can think of a million things I could do with a billion dollars. Yeah. Point to me where someone has just thrown a ton of money at the journalism problem, just thrown a ton of money, and it's worked out well. Um, you know, I've seen some really great, honorable intentions from, from folks who I will not name here. But, you know, I... Talking about fusion, right? I think... <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um, there. But I think what we need to do is we need to build a, a business that sustains journalism. It can, we cannot just be reliant okay. on the altruism of people. We don't want a government-run mm-hmm. um, news organization like, like we see in other... other. The, the thing that makes the New York Times special, the thing that I think distinguishes us you know, from almost any other, other news organization, um, not, not any, that's, but, but, but among a handful of news organizations, is its independence. And, right. and that is baked into um, you know, every fiber of what this institution mm-hmm. is. And I don't think it's, it's, it's separate right. from... I do think the New York Times of the billion dollars is different than other organizations, because you all will use it correctly. Well, then we're just going to go, and we're going to have to go you out. You refuse to take have the to, money I'm offering. No, we're going to we're gonna have to make that right. billion dollars ourselves. And? Can you? What's that? Can we, can we grow that big? I'm, look, I'm really optimistic. You know, we've got three and a half million, you know, subscribers now, which is more than any newspaper at the peak of print. And I feel like we're still growing. We're, I feel like we're still learning how to, how to succeed in, the, in this digital space. And I feel like the market for paid journalism is still, is still growing and maturing as well. So I'm, I'm optimistic. I, look, I really believe 
believe it when I say that. I don't think people are dumb. I think people want stuff worth paying for. I think they want the best journalism. I think, and it's part of the reason why I always answer the opposition question the way I do. You know, it's, it's so easy to get drawn into cycles, and, but trust is a long game. And, you know, what we do, you know, our mission, seek the truth, hold power to account, help people understand the world. That's perfect for this moment, but it's also perfect for every moment. And I believe that when like the noise, you know, clears and the smoke clears, you know, and we all look around, you know, we're gonna be hungry for, for news sources that you can, you can trust. Right, all right, last question. What is the thing you've done that's just most boneheaded of all this year? That, I, that I've done personally? As, as you know, you now you're the CEO, you've got the job title, you've got the suit going on. <laughs> well, our CEO is actually here And the today. CEO, I'm sorry, the, publi uh, the publisher. I'm I not making Mark. any moves, Mark, don't I, I'm worry. I'm sorry, Mark, I'm so, I don't mean CEO, the, the publisher. I, I know all your boneheaded moves, but go ahead. What, what, I'm teasing, He's I love his Facebook stuff. What have you done, what do you think you've done well and one thing you've done not, what, that you were like, oh, I gotta. I don't know, I mean, I've actually en enjoyed this, but it felt pretty boneheaded not to ask the moderator or this talk was going to be. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> well done. Well played, young man. Um, all right. A real one. A real one. Um, I thought I got out of that. Um, <laughs> no. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, I, look, I'm... What do you need to learn? Then I'll give it to you. I'll make I, it like, easy. so much. I'm 38 years old, and I'm stepping right. into a big role at a, at a critical moment. You know, I, I remember... Um, you know, the announcement about my appointment had, had gone out, I think, 10 days before the election or something like that. And, you know, we had drawn up the front page, Madam President. Oh. And, um, and then the meter was going off and on. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know what? Why don't we just blame the needle on me? I Should we do that for the bonehead? The needle, it was such a mind fuck, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> But, I, you know, I, I just remember, you know, um, this moment, you know, at the end of the night or the next morning of just saying, like, oh, wow, you know, this is, this is, this is a real moment. You know, I, I went into this job sort of thinking, like, uh, all we have to do, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a company, as a leadership team, you know, um, me in this, in this role is, um, is find a sustainable business model to save quality journalism. And now we also have to defend the underlying precept of a free press in, right. in a functioning democracy. So I feel, like, I feel like I have a ton to learn, and I feel like I'm learning a lot every day. Um, and I'm sure if you um, uh, get a couple drinks in these guys, every one of them will have some boneheaded thing. Um, yeah, they don't need drinks to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Journalism people just yeah. bombing up information all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you think, if you looked at the New York Times 10 years from now, you're 10 years in the job. Yeah. What does it look like? I mean, I hope, I hope it feels exactly the same, right? I hope like that, that sort of sense of like what it stands for and what you expect when you interact. But I hope we've got a big TV show that people tune into once a week, you know, which we're launching, um, you know, um, uh, at the beginning of next year, you know, that people have learned is like dives into, you know, something deeply in a sophisticated way that makes them pay attention to something that they didn't think they had to pay attention to, whether it's, you know, genocide in Myanmar, or, you know, or the, you know, starvation of, um, of uh, systematic starvation of children in Yemen. You know, I hope that we have realized that quality journalism is what we do and that it can take a million forms. And I hope we've proven 
that it has um, a big global audience. And I hope that we have proven that to enough of a degree that we have lessons that we can push back into the industry, um, because I really do believe that journalism is an ecosystem that needs to rise collectively. Um, I don't think there's one institution, no matter how much you grow, that's gonna grow big enough to support the needs of our society. Right. Well, on that note, AG. Thanks again to A.G. Salzberger for joining me on stage and putting up with all my flack and to the Knight Bajot Fellowship Program at Columbia University, where I went to journalism school, by the way, for letting us share the audio on this podcast. You can blame them for me. Thank you for all your listening. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please tell a friend about this show. Now that you're done with this, go check out our other podcasts, Recode Media and Pivot. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.